Hey, welcome to the podcast. This is Matt Sodnikar. Thanks for listening. And you're going to hear a second intro right after this because it's so much better than what I could do. And it's from another podcast host, uh, one of my best friends who also happens to be my son, Nick Sodnikar. So with that, I love you too, Nick. Take it away. You silly sod. Greetings, subjects. Welcome to the Sodcast. I am your host, Nick Sodnikar. This one is, think of it as a crossover episode. My, Believe it or not, my dad also hosts a podcast, so apparently this runs in the family. And it took us till now, we both started ours around the same time, it took us till now to realize why don't we do one together. So that's what this is. It's a two-parter. We really just got to the end of the first one and thought, let's just keep going. So we have two episodes we're going to release through this. Um, Really amazing conversation. It was just both eye-opening for me and therapeutic. Just as if you if you want to save money on therapy from your parenting experience, uh, record a podcast with your parents. I think it was amazingly helpful just to learn about his process when it came to raising me and both how I responded and how I reacted emotionally to how I was being raised. It was a really interesting mix of conversations we have here. So really, really excited to share these with you. First one is out now. Second one will be coming down the pipe very soon. But as always, thanks for listening and check out my dad's podcast, the Matt Sodnikar podcast. Have a good day. And dad, I love you. How about um, you go, welcome to the podcast, and then uh, I go, hey, that's my line. (laughs) (laughs) We should just start with how we're starting right now. Just let this be on the final thing. It's called Breaking the Fourth Wall. (laughs) Hey, I'm the theater kid. (laughs) No, the theater kid's sleeping in the other bed right now. That's right. Okay, finally, uh, welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Matt Sodnikar, and I'm here with another podcast uh, host, Nick Sodnikar. No relation. <laughs> Purely random. Yeah. How do, how do you make that? <laughs> Hello, Nick. Hi. How are you? Awesome. So we're sitting here Christmas week in Salida in a very cool Airbnb uh, just an awesome couple of days, awesome Christmas week together. So this is this is worse than if we were showing someone our pictures from this trip. <laughs> There's two good bar stools in this place, and uh, a pulverized wood uh, ottoman. That's fun. <laughs> but uh, I really enjoy <clears throat> your podcast, and particularly the uh, the infrastructure you've built around it. I like the Thank you. Uh, the the playlist that you have, your Spotify playlist, your polls. Uh, I like the graphics behind it. I like all of that. Um, but I want to say also, I'm very jealous of the name. So what yeah. is the name of your podcast? Jackass. My, <laughs> my podcast is called the Sodcast, And what's funny about that is we both started our podcasts around the same time. Yeah. If I recall accurately. And 
I think you had yours. No, I remember you wanted to name yours Burn the Boats first. And it was, yeah. And it was, but then there were 90 other podcasts with that name. Right. But, I mean, I don't have some, you know, Sermon on the Mount story where I got that name from anything in particular. It just made sense to me at the time and to this day it still makes sense so yeah and i was pissed that i didn't <clears throat> didn't come up with it because right. <clears throat> it's like occam's razor right it's yeah. the most simple best <clears throat> uh solution you can have for it and mm-hmm. it was sitting right in front of me for a lot longer <laughs> that name than you had right like, well done boy the other one i was suggested was the pod in the car oh. you, you could take that one if you wanted let me think about that yeah let me think about that. But I mean, I don't know any other side in the cars out there. I mean, there's all a lot of Smiths, a lot of Johnsons. Do you know any other side in the cars? Not really. It's no. just kind of uh, my dad and, and our family, and that's yeah. it. It was with a K originally, right? Yeah. 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 So that was the true Slovenian spelling, and I think my dad changed it when he was in college, if I remember hmm. right. Fun. So tell me about uh, your podcast briefly and then you and i could kind of start (laughs) interviewing each other right that always goes according to plan but um it's very similar to the format we're doing right now it's interview based it's all circles around other people yeah i mean there's what i've always liked about particularly when i first went to college was just learning all the new i call them record scratch moments where you just hear these things that other people do that you just stop and just go, wait, you do what in your spare time? And I just wanted to be able to follow through on that in an environment that allowed for it and also ask questions that you don't really get the chance. You know, you can't really ask the barista what happens when we die. So I wanted to create a space where I could do that and not get strange looks all the time. Yeah. But what was the second half of your question? Or I thought you were paying attention. Oh, I guess that's a good transition is it's not super structured. There's obviously versions of that podcast out there. Like Tim Ferriss is one we both listen to a lot. I know he's very regimented with how he structures his interviews, but I'm very, I don't, A, I'm not Tim Ferriss and I'm not getting the guests that Tim Ferriss does. So yeah. yeah, (laughs) Thank you, dad. (laughs) But it was, I mean, I just like to give the guests the chance to go whatever direction they want. Because I think that's where the best interviews come from are when you see the guests start to interrupt themselves and really get the chance to go, oh, wait, but then this connects to this. And then they have these all these awesome moments in their own head and they're tripping up under their own speaking. And right. I, I'd like having I like creating uh-huh. that space. But what about yours? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's very similar in the fact that I wanted to talk to people and the reason I called it burn the boats was that and I this kind of gets into the like the email or the conversation I have with somebody before they come on as a guest so a couple things um, I tell them first of all I don't think a person needs to be famous or a millionaire to tell a good story and a lot of the episodes we listen to it's people that are what you would call <clears throat> successful or Famous, whatever that means, right? Mm -hmm. And my podcast started because I wanted to dive into that two-paragraph block at the start of Fast Company or Inc. (laughs) or Fortune where 
Nick Sodnikar was a struggling entrepreneur, blah, 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 <laughs> in the basement for then there were five lean years. And then magically, you know, and the interviews always take place with the infinity pool and in front of the jet and yeah. all that. I'm like, hey, that's great, right? But what I wanted to dive into was the moment that they almost quit. And so burn the boats, if anybody hasn't heard of that, is a Viking phrase or something where like you invade, you burn the boats, and you're going to either win or die. There's no other option. Mm-hmm. And second of all, um, just wanted to, and I guess the podcast is morphed just by being aware of the people that are around me and the fundamental belief that everybody has an interesting story to tell. And just and like you said, like I like it when people have the, the space and time to breathe and think and because we don't anymore we really don't (laughs) (laughs) right right and that's something that you and i talk about a lot but just the fact that and and i tell them too the other the other couple things i tell them i tell them the origin of the podcast and i tell them the philosophy behind it and so i'm in an improv group and improv has some fundamental rules but one of them is to make my scene partner look good and so my job as an interviewer is to make sure that you look or sound good. And I tell people they have final edit, they have final approval, whether it sees the light of day or not. I go into every episode thinking that if nothing else, it'll be just an hour long conversation that will be entertaining for the two of us. Right. And it might not ever get published and that's fine. And then the less I talk, the better. And I've had guests just, they get self-conscious after a while where they're doing all the talking and it's great. And so I consider myself a very good listener and that's kind of the approach to it. And there's been very, very cool things that have, like you're saying, I think unravel because I know how to shut up. (laughs) There really is what I've noticed. How many, do you know how many interviews you've done to date? Well, I could look at my Trello board. Um, I'd say there's probably 24. Five, okay. And there's six that are what I would say in production, mm-hmm. which, you know, super producer Cole, right. <laughs> who, um, it, it's really cool. Cause I just, uh, on the Trello board that we've created, like to me, so we started, let me back up. So, so Cole worked at, um, CSU, he worked on the, the radio pro, the radio station up there. Mm-hmm. And so he's, uh, super brain high powered data consultant for a local um, big consulting firm here in Denver. But he does this as a favor to me on the side, but it, it's really cool. And so <clears throat> it used to be just trading like an email or um, a uh, Google hangout message, <laughs> but I've, I've created this Trello board just so I can keep track of all this stuff. So I've got columns of, to invite, invited, accepted, kind of moving through the workflow. And so the obviously the, the longest list on that is the to be invited. So right. whether it's Barack Obama. Hey, why not? Abraham Lincoln. You know, and we both do have a connection to President Obama. We do. Our friend Ellie, who's also on yeah. that list. So Yeah, she'd be great. It's like, why not why not even ask, right? Sure. That's how I get Vinny Tortorich to be a guest and to be on his show as I simply awesome. asked him and I don't want to 
it can't get any simpler than that. I literally shot him an email through his website and talked to him, met him in California. And then through that, like the end goal was going to be, I wanted to be on his podcast Mm -hmm. and I was going to ask if he didn't ask, but I think just he and I really hit it off and then he extended the invite. And like after that, the next three minutes of that, (laughs) my life in that moment, I don't remember. Right. I was at a Starbucks somewhere in Hollywood or California. I don't remember, but anyway, so I'm getting off track. Sorry. No, I can testify to that whole, it's sometimes you just need to ask. That's how I got the former ambassador to Guatemala on mine is I just sent, I just sent an email to his manager or whoever was hosting his stay up in Boulder. And I just said, Hey, I do this thing. Would he be interested in coming on? And just exactly that. Yes. Yes. Here's when, here's how. Yeah, exactly. It's, I never wanted to believe it was that simple, but it really, it can be, it really can be. Well, it's one of my, so I'm in sales during the day or well, all the time, but it's (laughs) one of those. You're always hustling. Let's be real. (laughs) (laughs) Correct. But it's one of those things. It's a sales principle where you remove obstacles for the customer to say yes Mm -hmm. to whether they're buying uh, a service from you or clothing or being on your podcast try to answer as many of those objections up front, see it from their perspective and frame it in a way that makes it easy for them to go, okay, okay, sure. Why not? Yeah. You know? um, but back to the Trello board. <clears throat> so I remember when I sent Cole the invite to the Trello board with this very robust populated workflow. And um, I started seeing him comment back and forth in there and, I remember shooting him a note saying, just when I thought I couldn't love you anymore, we're using Trello <laughs> for this podcast. And it's just, it's cool because this, the simple act of dragging uh, an episode from to be invited, to invited, to booked, recorded, sent to Cole, the subject approves it. And I send it to everybody before it gets approved. Mm-hmm. And simply, you know, dragging that, uploading it to SoundCloud, which then spits it to iTunes and Spotify. But just, it's like the, it's just a glamorous version of a checklist, but like, that's really cool to see that happen. And so to have him be a part of that, um, that, I guess, operational infrastructure, but just, it's, it's just really cool. Yeah. Do you have any other tools, not necessarily for the podcast, but Trello is one, which I use for school. Do you have any other just software or hardware that you just like to use to help be productive? Um, I noticed a big difference in the in-person interviews when I got the the two Yeti microphones and started using GarageBand. Because hmm. before, <clears throat> I was using Zoom mm-hmm. to record whether it was live or in person or um Remote or in person, I should say. And just the uh, ability, I think the recording quality with the two mics, the two channels, uh, I noticed that that was a huge difference. Um, But I would love to have some sort of, um, I still want people to send me suggestions on who they want to talk to. Um, My friend Mike Giannetto introduced me to um, who I'm recording with on Monday, New Year's Eve, the a mayoral mayoral candidate for Denver, but he listens. He saw it, and he's like, "Well, she might be. Well, of course, she'd be an interesting subject, right?" Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I would like to have um, 
a capture form on some website where people could just it, it could reach me anyway, like email, text, whatever, right? Facebook, but yeah, I'd like to have some automation on that infrastructure where if somebody wanted to be a guest or suggest a guest, yeah. But beyond that, there's not really a whole lot of other um, tools with respect to the recording. But I mean, it's as complicated as yeah. I use instead of GarageBand, I use uh, Audacity. And there's no, I mean, it's like Coke and Pepsi, I think. Yeah. There's benefits to each. There's not really downsides that I've found. But overall, this whole process is as complicated as you want to make it. I would agree. Yeah. And that's, that's of course, a risk when you're trying to get episodes out in a reasonable and efficient manner. But what's your lead time between hitting end record and pressing publish? Is there a timeline that you try to shoot for with that? Um, <clears throat> yeah. Well, there's been others that have been accelerated where I kind of have a theme. So I, I'm doing, um, I've got two more episodes on comedy and improv to upload. Mm-hmm. And those have been, man, recorded probably since the summer. Mm-hmm. And just because of, you know, real life and other stuff that the lead time on those is a lot longer, but like an actual lead time, here's one. So when did we go see Warren Miller face a winner? When was that? That was, that was Thanksgiving, right? Yeah. November. So I recorded with Gypsy Q that night and Cole just shot me a message that that's recorded. So I got to send it to those guys to listen and I get a sense sometimes during the process if somebody's good with it right away, like if they really enjoyed it and had a good time. Like I may, I'll just send it to these guys just so I can, you know, cross it off. But there's nothing in there that was controversial or mm-hmm. or um, edgy or anything like that. But that process, well, it's been about a month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was Thanksgiving. This is, you know, a couple of days before New Year. So it's about, been about a month. But I can get them out. I could literally turn it around. Like we could have this one edited and uploaded tonight if we wanted to. Yeah. It's always a strange thing, especially when it comes to the interview part of the interview podcast. Have you ever gone into one where you're not, you're not, you're not feeling a hundred percent for whatever reason. And you feel like you're not the mat that you want to be in an interview. And if so, how have you combated that? Mm-hmm. Good question. Because um, this is kind of a character we're doing right now, I would say. A little bit, yeah. Not out of any sort of disingenuineness, but just we're not as... We're trying to be lively and talk to each other in a way that we think would be entertaining for other people, but also entertaining for ourselves. Have you ever felt not in that space when you've gone in to talk to someone? Well, I'll, 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 uh, dispute that just a little bit from my personal perspective. I'm only trying to enjoy the experience with you right now. You're so wholesome. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, but it it just comes from being in sales, um, enjoying the interpersonal connection. And like I said, if, if nobody listens to this, I don't care Mm -hmm. as long as you and I have 
some moment that is genuine and a connection. And yeah, it is kind of a character a little bit, but it's not outside because I'm talkative, extroverted. I mean, you saw me at the the biker and the baker last night, you know, I'm talking to everybody around me. It's insufferable. (laughs) (laughs) He's too nice. But I'm curious. Yeah, yeah. Right. And I liked, and let me come back to that. Help me remember this. So okay. like when I was your age, um, but <clears throat> I could tell you there's only been one episode that I, there's been one episode that the guest scrapped because he had some life events that altered his Instagram visibility so he wasn't going to post anymore and he wanted to focus on his family. And I think his, uh, child had some health issues. Mm-hmm. And so it was a great conversation. And just, I, I remember just laughing more during that and just the energy of this guy, but that he thought it was great, but he didn't want any more traffic or any more visibility coming to the website. So I totally respect that. Okay. Uh, the one that I shut down mid recording. So I did a post on Reddit on the entrepreneur subreddit asking for guests. <clears throat> and I got one that was an A plus home run, Ryan Helms, Grit and Hustle, who's got his um, uh, Hustle Journal, which is just an amazing product. So he and I have become friends. That was incredible. That was a fantastic episode. And there was somebody else that was uh, a student in California and it doesn't, doesn't really, there's no need to point out. I don't remember his name or anything like Mm -hmm. that, but he had this idea for kind of like LinkedIn meets Bumble meets like, not like a dating app, like some sort of social. And his idea was sort of way too soon Mm -hmm. and his conversational skills like I was pulling out every trick in the book. <laughs> it was like a bad date <clears throat> is what it was. Okay. And was trying to ask questions about the product or anything like this. And it was one and two word answers. And, um, and, and English was not his first language, but he was very proficient in English. But the... I did all I could mm-hmm. and I think I went about 12 minutes or so and was just like, dude, I'm not getting anything here. <laughs> just yeah. asking open-ended questions. How did you come up with this? Oh, well, it was like an idea and, and I'm not <laughs> shitting on this guy. Like, you know, he was very, very nice. And, and I remember at the end of it, I said, Hey, you know, when this gets a little bit more solid or, you know, here's some things you could possibly do for, conversational skills like hit me up again right Mm -hmm. but it just i could not spin that straw into anything but like a pile of straw Mm -hmm. and and it was i felt bad for the guy because he made time and we talked a little bit but you know it happens right yeah i've had a few of those where we just haven't we're, where we are good friends in quote real life. And then when we come on here, we just can't convey that same sense of chemistry in the recording space. Yeah. This is a weird environment too. It's not, I mean, talking with another human, that's 
relatively natural, but with these big black cylinders in front of us, a laptop with our voices being recorded, it's it sets off something in the lizard brain that just in not some not in a bad way, but just that sense of this isn't a space I'm usually in, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 And you're right. And now that I'm thinking about this, I'm going to try to hide the laptop mm-hmm. as best I can when I do this, because, you know, like if, yeah, and I, I don't, I always want to put myself in the other person's shoes and understanding that this may not be natural because, and I tell them, look, it's not live. We can scrap this. And sometimes it, it does take people, most people, I would say, a good 10 or 15 minutes for the microphone to sort of fade into the background. Definitely. Yeah. And if I could have a way that it was maybe like, you know, Hollywood boom mics where <laughs> they're above our head and we don't even notice them like that would be, yeah, that'd be like a lot of money to do that sort of stuff. Right. <clears throat> but yeah, I do my best to try to make people at ease. And I think it, I think it definitely comes from, a lot of inside sales and I haven't done a phone interview for a while just because I've been looking around at people that are in Denver that are local, Mm -hmm. but that definitely helped with my sales experience to really build a rapport fast on the phone. Sure. And, 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 and in those cases, what I'll do is a, a, an initial phone call where it's like, Hey, this is what I'm doing. And what'll typically happen on a phone interview is I'll get to one point where they'll start talking about a story. And I'm like, that's it. (laughs) That'll be the opening question. And then it's like, Hey, don't, I want this like fresh. You may, you may have told the story a million times, but I want to hear it for the first time. So like, that's good. It's like, cool. Here, I'll send you a date. Let's schedule it. And, and that's about it. But um, I know you didn't really ask this, but like, I would love for this to turn into where I got paid to do this. Totally. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not blind to that fact, but if that was the way I was pursuing this at the moment, I think, and I want it to be the best it possibly can be. So I've upgraded the equipment, the recording, I've upgraded and I think just through experience, I'm getting better at this. And Cole will tell me like, Hey, that's, that was a really good one like that. You definitely reached a new level with the, the conversation, but like, let's say that for sake of this conversation, I did get president Obama. Okay. Right. And if I got him to talk now versus a year ago, I would have had a big fish on the hook and I would have been in a rowboat with like (laughs) a cane fishing pole. Yeah. And I would not have known what to do with that. Right. And simply by working on an experience that I enjoy, that's all I'm trying to do. Yeah. And if something comes from this, wonderful if not i don't care Mm -hmm. but at the very end of it i've had a great conversation with your sister about her acting like you and i are sitting here talking about this now and for me that's enough 
and I want to ask questions that are interesting to me. And again, it's like relationships, right? There's people that are going to like you where there's a fit and there's people that are, you're not going to hit it off and, and that's okay. Absolutely. It's a big planet with a lot of people out there. So I'm just trying to make something that I would enjoy listening to and, and that's it. It's definitely got its hidden rewards. I would say I didn't go into this thinking I would, it would help me with my conversational abilities, but I've had a few just times where I'm talking to people and I've reacted in the same way where on mic that I've started to off mic in that sense of just being able to pull from earlier conversations, trying to just help generate something in the moment, even though the mics aren't rolling. It's a similar muscle memory almost. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's conversation one-on-one, right? Yeah. You ask questions. Mm -hmm. You don't ask closed end questions. Hey, do you, do you like wine or do you like beer? Yeah. You rephrase that. Tell me about your favorite cocktail. Mm -hmm. And I learned that from getting beat up in sales training, (laughs) right? Where like, you know, you lead, you, even the person you're talking to may not understand that you're leading them down a path. You are right. Mm -hmm. Because you've closed off everything else because going back to improv, right? Yes. And one of the fundamental rules, whatever you say, I agree with, Mm -hmm. Hey, it's beautiful day for a bike ride. (laughs) Yes, absolutely is. Let's go get our bikes. But if I go, no, I think I want to go skiing. Then yeah. I've immediately just shit all over your premise, killed that conversation path. Yeah. And then it's just yes and being open to offers, right? Mm-hmm. So asking a closed end binary or A B question shuts down any other responses. And it's harder to think that way. Mm-hmm. But again, and it's a skill that I had to learn. Yeah. It just allows for more interesting responses. I still am guilty of that, both on mic and off mic. Just, and I've started to catch myself whenever I ask those binary questions. But you can absolutely see the difference when it comes to what sort of responses you get. Because if it's wine or beer, the answers are wine or beer. But if you ask cocktail, then it's like, oh, I know this thing where you got like flames that they light on fire with and stuff. And the coffee maker's beeping on us. But... <laughs> But you asked me to get you back to just characterism at some point. Or did we? Characterism. <laughs> or yeah, that sense of just, is this podcasting, is this a sense of character? Oh, oh. We don't have to. but No, no. Um, I would say if I, if it was a character, I would be less. Yeah. Than say like last night. You know, when we were out and, and again, Nick and I had two beers at this bar and it was just like this cool charcuterie bakery in Salida. And so it was not a late or rowdy night. So when I say less, like, um, I would, I'm more focused on you at this moment than being like entertaining or, or I'd say on or mm-hmm. like performing, <clears throat> Right. Because I want to make sure that you're having a great experience as opposed to just striking up a conversation. Right. So I would say that I'm more more focused on you and less impulsive because I have 
I have horrible. It's better. <laughs> I have horrible impulse control um, and severe uh, attention. So mm-hmm. my blessing slash curse of ADHD is that um, my frontal lobes are always on. So I'm <laughs> processing everything all the time. Yeah. So it's a gift and a reward when I can be fully present like I am now and just thinking about you and thinking about talking to you. Whereas at the, the bakery bar or whatever it was called <clears throat> last night, I'm looking at the bottles of wine. I'm looking at the people coming in, the charcuterie trays, which were just gorgeous coming out. And so like all of this stuff is just now like blips on my radar screen. And so the reason that I enjoy this so much is that I've got no place else to be Mm -hmm. and I've got one thing to think about and that's you. And so in my head, that is such a refreshing thing. Like, you know, a, a a pristine prairie full of snow (laughs) with just like some mountains off in the background and nothing else out there. And like that, to have that, single focus and that calm is such a treat right and i've learned to manage that but um but yeah i mean that's so it would be i'd say more focus and probably less less of me being entertaining right right because I'm just trying to make sure that you're having a good experience right now and asking questions and, and not trying to be entertaining either at your expense or in your presence or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's, if there was a character, yes, it would be less, it would be me turning down (laughs) the, the wattage of me. The the matism. Yeah. But there's definitely times and places for, you know, being entertaining like that, I would say. Not at and not at an expense of anything or not for the sake of being disingenuine, but there's times where it was like what you were mentioning when E and I were just kind of making each other Who? just Yeah. Oh. <laughs> the, the little one. <laughs> the second one. Um just that sense of we're just trying we're just trying to one up each other to get each other to laugh. And I'd say that's when the wattage gets turned up a bit. Correct. Not and not disingenuine, not being fake or dishonest, but just it only exists in that one environment where you're just trying to just hit each other harder with jokes or with references to stuff, just trying to make each other giggle. Right. Right. But I wrote, how do you, because I have, I have your ADHD as well. How do you combat that in any ways? Or not even combat that, but just interact with it in a way that isn't causing obstacles for you? Great question. <clears throat> um, and I remember, and I, and I say that this is a, a blessing, right? That I was diagnosed with this. And it was, oh, man. Well, you're 21, so it's probably 10, 12 years ago that I found out that I had this, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember being in 
a psychiatrist's office, actually marriage counselor. So when your mom and I were splitting up and, um, I don't think I've ever said this publicly, but I do give her credit for trying to work through this for trying to work through our relationship for like about a year because had she just packed up and split, I think I would still be foundering, floundering because I had no awareness that this is how my brain worked. Mm -hmm. Right. So credit to her for, um, at least allowing the, cause the, the, the counseling went from trying to work on the relationship and the marriage to like, what's wrong with me. And through that course of it, the therapist, your mom was, um, talking slash complaining about stuff about me to this therapist. Right. And, um, I'm thankful that she had the awareness to sort of step back and say this sounds like a lot of like attention stuff because your mom I was staying home with you guys at the time and your mom was frustrated with things not getting done and sort of this level of chaos and um, disorganization and just like growing increasingly frustrated with that and so you know, fast forward a couple months, like I remember the turning point was when I think the marriage was done and I started working on saving myself as opposed to that. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> it, it was a challenge for me because, you know, I wasn't abusive. I wasn't an alcoholic. I would just say that I was a judgmental perfectionist asshole (laughs) that was my problem right Mm -hmm. like i would see somebody that was um just pick something like um like that clothing store we were at last night the guy that owned that clothing store oh man he's so lucky you know like he just like this fell into his lap blah 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 you know Mm -hmm. and in once being envious and jealous of this guy but not and I was just I was like a shell, like I was um, a projection. Like I would project confidence and capabilities. And despite having um, an engineering job at Medtronic and a house and kids, like I felt like I wasn't really like a grown up. I hadn't really earned anything. I mean, the biggest challenge I had faced at that time was my mom passing away when I was about your age, like twenty but I hadn't really accomplished anything. Right. And so let me circle back to the question. So the ADHD, so found out at like 30, you know, something that I had this and it explains so much. It was like, um, like, uh, like those cabinets, right. They've got like this textured glass. You can't really see through, but you can see stuff. You don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Like it felt like that textured glass, how I looked at the world just shattered at that point and things were crystal clear. They didn't make sense, but they were in focus now. Right. And so I actually wore <laughs> with a, a psychiatrist, a literal tinfoil hat <laughs> and had like brain scan. And I, I've got this report somewhere 
And it shows that like, even at rest, like even if I was sitting and trying to focus on one thing, like my frontal lobes were like, you know, like an engine, if you had an imaging camera on it, like this is burning super hot. Right. Mm -hmm. So as I mentioned before, my flavor of ADD is it bounces back and forth between paying attention to everything all the time or periods of hyper-focus where sound and time and everything else just fades away right where it could be holy shit that was like 45 minutes that i was working on this design or something so when i get lost and get immersed it's gone you Mm -hmm. know but um i remember this very clearly i don't think i've ever told you this story um because you know when you were young you were dealing with like sensory issues and very very young yeah you had issues with like transitions like even at daycare, like going from story time to whatever, like you were experiencing that hyper-focus where you were in it and then extracting from that was so challenging. And I just remember that it was a very powerful and emotional moment for me because knowing how my brain worked, I could help you at 12 or 10 or 15 or whatever it was. And that you wouldn't have 15 years of just pinballing around relationships and jobs and life that your life would be better because I was aware and we shared kind of the same brain. Mm -hmm. And I just remember saying that like it was just, I was so grateful for it. Like I didn't know what my, um, compensatory behaviors were going to be or my processing was going to be. Mm-hmm. But I just remember being so thankful that like you weren't going to have to fuck around for 15 years. Like I did not knowing what the hell was happening. <laughs> I've done a lot of reflection on that time because I've, I remember just a lot of those little, not true memories, but little like what you're saying with that kind of transparency thing with those cabinets, just, yeah, I remembered little things about those times. I remember all the uh, uh, behavioral tools that you guys gave me at that time, the rubber bands around the legs of my chair so I wouldn't swing them and stuff like that. But going to that thought of transitions, I kind of understand, admittedly not to the degree of what you're going through at this time, but... Grab some more coffee. Yeah, there's, there's little... I mean, I'll just tell the story. So I've also got the same ADD that maybe not the same flavor as he said, but I've got a lot of those same things that were really uh, apparent when I was younger. And rather than I'm still really thankful that you didn't do this, that you didn't put me straight on Adderall when you first, when I was first diagnosed and you, because, and, um, you gave me all the like the behavioral things I just mentioned. I had that rubber band thing. I had this weird whoopee cushion I had to sit on, um, stress balls, all that type of thing. And I remember just walking into class in third or fourth grade, and there were all these new augmentations to the chair I was sitting <laughs> on. Just like, oh, that's how it's going to be. But, I mean, what I really think, to give this story a point, what I really think that helped me see was that there's – that you didn't just go straight for the nuclear option as my parents, both you and mom. Cause 
how old was I in third or fourth grade? Nine, eight, something like that. Sure. Yeah. And I guess I, sh- I figure I should just say thank you for not. I mean, I'm guessing that signs are starting to show between you two at that point. And I appreciate you not just trying to solve the Nick problem with Adderall. And, yeah. And just being able to stick, I don't want to say stick it out, but put the kids in a place that wasn't the back burner. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that was important to us too, because I was on, um, so I was diagnosed and then prescribed this medication, gabapentin, which is actually an anti, I'm going to get this wrong, but it's like an anti seizure medication. Hmm. So it was, um, it's called off label for the FDA. So it had this prescribed, um, course of therapy for it. And then, um, scientists or somebody had figured out that for my form of ADD, that it was very effective. So I was taking this, I didn't have seizures, but I was taking this anti-seizure medication because it was the best thing for me at the time. And so coupling that with talk therapy and awareness and behavior modification and all that, um, that the medication helped me get a hold of what it should feel like, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but it sucked because it, it put me on like a super strict schedule. Yeah. So 6 a.m., noon, 6 p.m. And I remember thinking, and, you know, there's all kinds of warnings, like from my doctor and, you know, all over the web. It's like, you know, just do not stop this stuff cold turkey because it, like, can cause seizures. <laughs> Jeez. But I remember being at Santa Fe Century, and, you know, we'd start riding, like, at 6, and, and I would have to pack it with all the shit I had to carry, like gels and, you know, water and arm warmers and blah, 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 all this other shit. I had to pack like a pill because I had to make sure that I got a dosage at the right time because, um, like I felt it's like, I didn't, I didn't feel anything when I was taking it, but when I was an hour late with a dosage, I would just start feeling like a little spacey and all that. And I fucking hated that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so gradually I turned up the behavior therapy and started, you know, I would actually start and I would ask, you know, I asked my doctor, Hey, I want to get off this. So he'd start giving me, you know, smaller pills with less milligrams, whatever it was. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're part of that was philosophical. Like I'm not definitely not like one of these anti-vax kooks and, <laughs> you know, believe in modern medicine, but also believe in the power of the mind. And, you know, you've got your whole life ahead of you. And it's kind of one of these things like where I read in like uh, Jocko Willink's book, like all these guys, he, he kind of makes fun of all these Navy SEALs that have to have their protein powder at, you know, staggered intervals or this, that, and the other. And he's like, mm-hmm. I cannot eat, I can eat garbage, I can do whatever. And like the world is unpredictable and you're going to be in situations where let's say just your best laid plans, like you forget your medication, right? Mm-hmm. What do you do then? Yeah. So you're always going to have your brain and your body. And how do you make that 
the best that it can be. And part of that was like my philosophy, like, Hey, you know, if I, like I had a sinus infection this past week, I was taking, uh, the mucus thinner and Advil cause I had sinus pressure and it hurt. Right. Mm-hmm. So the, you have to have the skills to manage who you are. And, but going back to that, like, it was just one more way that you and I were bonded and connected that was, then I look at it as a gift, right? Because you've been very good as a young adult and adult where we can talk about this stuff and I can go, Oh, I know. Not like, Hey son, I know how you're feeling down on one knee. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's okay. You'll play through it. It's like, no, I know exactly how you're processing this. I may not know how you're feeling, but I know how you're processing it. Right. Mm -hmm. And to then be truly the role of a parent as like your, your wingman or your, you know, home base, your support. Like to me, I just was like, he's not going to suffer the way that I did for 15 years before this shit gets figured out. That was the challenge I had to accept. We could say is the the role of actually being a son, not just a roommate who's eating your food, you know, (laughs) cause that's really, that's what a kid is for. I don't know the first eight, nine years. And I didn't realize that, the point of, you know, being a child is that I can go to you and go to mom and say, Hey, I don't really know how to handle this, or I don't know what I'm supposed to think or what I'm supposed to feel about this. And I really didn't start doing that until late in the high school, I would say, because obviously the teenage angst is very real. I know I was definitely guilty of it a lot, but yeah, you were grouchy for your sophomore junior year, but yeah, I mean, and I'm, I won't even deny it. that's absolutely true. But <laughs> but just at the end of that, being able to say, oh, these people are, like you said, you're supposed to be my teammates. You're supposed to be the people I can go to for help on these things. Yeah. That's, it was really a revela- revelation, is revelationary a word? It is now. Revelationary moment for me, just being able to accept that I don't, I'm only 21. I don't know everything yet. I never will know everything. Well, nobody will. Yeah. Right? Um, and I was thinking about this. I took a brief walk around um, downtown Salida this morning, just getting some fresh air and thinking about this. And <clears throat> I talked to a lot of parents and a couple of things I want to capture here is that um, like, this trip we took down here to Salida, like we went skiing Christmas day at Loveland. We went snowshoeing. We're hanging out. I'm not doing that because it's Christmas week and it's my time with you guys. I'm doing it because I would do this because I like spending time with you and your sister. Like there's no doubt that I'm in charge here, but like you guys are my friends. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's wonderful that, you were at my birthday party this summer and that your friends are my friends. And that I know that in both of your phones, yours, your phone and your sister's phone is that you've got a lot of the same contacts that I have Mm -hmm. and that like, you know, 
Kendra is good friends with Elizabeth and you know Cole and all this stuff. And so I really enjoy you as people. And that's something that I don't ever want to change, right? Mm-hmm. So like if I was going to boil down like a couple of other like parenting things, right? Um, back to your point, and, and I told you this from a very, very young age, is that I'm not the police. I'm not here to catch you. You know, my friend Brad said, catch your kids being good. Yeah. And I joke about like, and I kind of say this to other parents in front of you guys. It's like, use your manners, be respectful to me, to each other. And other than that, don't make me fill out any fucking paperwork. (laughs) Like just (laughs) go do what you're going to do. And like, Mm -hmm. here's some broad boundaries. But like, I don't know if you remember this, but like I showed you guys when you were younger, like this is how you get on the roof with the ladder. Like, Hey, if you ever want to get on the roof, just tell me this is how we do it because I don't want you to fall off. Like Mm -hmm. this is not forbidden. Like I never set up like strict behavioral boundaries. I was like, let's figure this shit out together. Let's let's keep you safe. Cause I, and I've told you and your sister the same thing is that the older you get, the penalties for mistakes go up. And if I can illustrate the bumpers for you guys, like, mm, think about this, think about this. Like, I want you to be, you're the, you're the pilot of your own airplane. So I want you to be able to handle these situations when they come up, right? Mm-hmm. And you talk about that one year where it was like your sophomore or junior year. I never took that personal. Like I figured that you were probably bucking the system because you were 15 yeah, and you couldn't drive and you're a man. You got these hormones, all this stuff. But I never took that as personal, like your attitude, like, Oh God, he's being such an asshole. Right. <laughs> I was trying to be empathetic and figure out like what was going on and try to help. And I just kept saying, like, I'm not, here to you know it's like i don't know that you guys have ever snuck out but i don't think you would have i think you would have said hey this is what we're doing we're going out like okay cool like this is how i keep you guys safe right Mm -hmm. um and you know and people have always told me like after they meet you guys like your kids are like so cool i was like yeah but i i like being around them right and i never like there's a difference between being a leader and a manager, right? Mm-hmm. I love working for leaders, managers. They always use the word team mm-hmm. way too much, but they don't know what it means. Yeah. And a manager's like, Oh, you showed up at eight Oh five and you left early. Like they've managed like the bullshit details. Right. Where, you know, and I just like being with you guys and want you to know that. I definitely didn't appreciate that when I was younger. I mean, before the angsty sophomore junior years, I remember you would always take me and Elizabeth to uh, the the gatherings that you and your friends would have. And when I was younger, I would always feel just really out of place there. Well, you were. Yeah. Because you were way younger. But sorry, go ahead. No, no. And then that was what I was getting at is I didn't realize that getting to just have exposure to your circle like Dash and Cole and all those people that early means that now I I know them in a sense that isn't just your 
I know them in the sense that Dash isn't dad's friends. Dash is, to a degree, one of my friends now. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think the only way that could have happened is if I was just at those events for a long period of time. Yeah. And I definitely didn't appreciate that when you were doing it, mainly because I couldn't drive away. (laughs) But now it's, it's a good time whenever we get together, and I'm thankful for that. That's good. And that was always very important to me is that you saw me in a social situation with a lot of friends mm-hmm. you know, doing fun stuff and, you know, just being human. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, there were like, as an example, like I remember you drove us home from uh, downtown one night and I had had three beers. I was capable to drive. I was, you know, probably legally okay to drive, but like, as an example, I wanted to say, look, I'm going to make a better decision, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Super Bowl 50 or whatever it was with <laughs> Panthers. <laughs> I'm looking at Elizabeth right now. <laughs> I still to this day have not seen the fourth quarter of that game because oh, I started pouring my own Bloody Marys <laughs> at like two in the afternoon. Bad idea. It's hardcore. Yeah. Got way self-overserved. Ended up throwing up at Coles. Dash drove us home with my head out the window in <laughs> February, whatever. But it was a humanizing example that, hey, I make mistakes, but I didn't compound another mistake by driving home. And But also showing you guys that like, I'm a pretty happy, lovey drunk, Like even when I'm like close to passing out and puking, right? <laughs> That's maybe not a great example to show kids, but it's like, here's, here's a way that it's like, look, I'm human too. Right. And yeah, gets out of hand and it's like, you know, and I know like before you went to college, we sat down, we had like a beer tasting, like you were 17 or something, like, you know, it was that summer. It's like, here's a PBR all the way up to like (laughs) a decent stout. Here's this. Cause like, I didn't want you like the first time you went to college, the first time you were drunk to be away from home and on your own. Like I wanted you to understand what it felt like because whether or not you partook, you're going to be exposed to it. Sure. And in a helpful environment. Back to what you said about not being a great example to show kids or something like that. I think it's just the context. If you showed up like that to, you know, one of our birthday parties, when we're, yeah, when we're nine years old, it's probably not the great context, but, you know, Super Bowl, first time the Broncos have been there in decades, mm-hmm. surrounded by good, caring friends who all look out for each other. Yeah. I think that's an appropriate time to show that sort of behavior because yeah. there's no, I mean, you're all, yeah, there's no, obviously, like you said, there's potential to compound those mistakes, but you're in an environment where you won't do that because you're all, you're the wolf pack. (laughs) And I think a lot of parents are terrified to show their kids something like that. Right. Just because, you know, it's, I think the irrational fear is something like, oh, then they know that we're actually humans too, but, (laughs) but we're all, we're all humans here, at least that I'm aware of. Yeah. Elizabeth's a better version of a human than we are, but <laughs> yeah, she's the smartest one in the family. Yeah. Um, what was I going to ask you? I have some other stuff here we could get into that I've written down. 
Yeah, go ahead. Maybe that'll spark something. Oh, I, I know what I was going to tell you. Um, oh, going back to like parenting advice. And yeah. Then, then we can get back to your questions mm-hmm. and then um, you can talk about you as opposed to me talking about you. <laughs> um, like with both of you kids, um, like I never had that projection of you like succeeding for me. So I go back to like when you played baseball, right? Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about this <laughs> this morning too. It's like, I always just enjoyed watching you play. Mm-hmm. And when you were playing baseball, so you played like T-ball up through like, was it your sophomore year of high school? Freshman year. Yeah. Freshman year, yeah. So the one thing I didn't like about you getting into organized sports is it wasn't like you and me, like going to practices together. And that's something I got from my dad. Like I was always very involved with your activities. And like mm-hmm. I volunteered whenever I could. I coached Elizabeth volleyball and I coached up until the time when they needed my help. Mm-hmm. The one thing I didn't like was when you went into like high school sports is that it wasn't, and you and I would still go out and, you know, go to the batting cage and do drills, but just like the, the, the one-on-one participation in sports. Yeah. And I remember, so like it was, it was a change for me that I had to handle that. Like I wasn't as involved in that athletic activity as much as I was. But I remember like when I was catching you, when you were pitching, I think your freshman year and like you were throwing, like the ball actually hissed. Like I, it was amazing. Like it broke and it hissed and I was like, I'm not catching you without a face mask anymore. (laughs) Um, but again, I always reassured you that I just like watching you play. I raced bikes. I ran pickup hockey, basketball. Like you were not going to compensate or erase my athletic things. And, and I just, again, that was just, um, consistent repeated messaging for you that it was like, I just like watching you play. Right. Yeah. Um, so, and I still remember there, there were two baseball memories, right? One was at uh, like double angel a couple years ago, you had, um, pulled a legit home run on like a legit sized baseball diamond. You know, you drew it to like, a, I don't remember the count, but yet you, you saw a couple of pitches and you pulled it and it was, you're left-handed and it was, um, like center right field legit over the fence, which was an amazing experience. But I was most proud of you at your next at bat when you drew a walk. So anybody that's a baseball fan, mm-hmm. like the fact that you didn't think that now you were swinging a home run bat every time you got up, <clears throat> that you could go up there and you stayed in the moment and like you saw four or well, at least four bad pitches that you just drew a walk. Like that said a lot about your mentality about the situation. Mm-hmm. The other memory I have driving away from that same ballpark, like a different game. It's like, you know, I, I don't remember anything about the game, but you're playing first base and you had a ball go through your legs or something. It was like a ground ball to first and it, it went through your legs or it got under your glove or something. And I always remembered that there was one of your coaches that was like, 
a lot of kids quit. He sent out this article. It's like, it's called the drive home. Oh right? yeah. <clears throat> and like you were on the field, you knew you fucked up that play, but again, like it's, you were there, like you experienced it. Like, it's not my job to remind you of that. Mm-hmm. And of course it's eighth grade baseball. Who cares? Yeah. Right? My only problem I ever had with, you or your sister playing sports was your attitude. I have a story. I have a story about the attitude when you're done. Yeah. And so other than that, like if you went like over four had errors on the field, I didn't care as long as you handled it like a professional or, you know, stoically or something like that. Right. Yeah. You know, (laughs) but your performance, Mm -hmm you knew what was going on. You were living it. And for me to um, bring it up and like do a ESPN game day recap <laughs> would be unprofessional of me and unfair to you. And I remember we were driving home and, and I was like, dude, that was because I, w- I would always focus on like the highlights, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Hey, like, you know, you, I forget even what happened in that game, but like I pointed out like two or three things and then you were quiet for a while and then drive home. And then you were like, yeah, but then I had that play at first, and I was like, yeah, but, like, errors happen, right? Like, they track those in baseball. Like, they're, yeah, yeah they suck. But, like, I was like, well, okay, what could you have done differently? Mm-hmm. Like, I would never bring up, like, the mistake or the negative and, like, you know, have, like, a, you know, you're not a professional, right? So to sit down and, like, tear you down for making a mistake like you're seventh grade playing yeah. baseball you're not good yeah <laughs> right <laughs> that was part of why i i'm saying it like lebron james leaving the Cavs all those years ago that was why i left uh baseball after that first year in high school was because that environment at least from what i remember it was very good at emphasizing those mistakes and not being supportive and not letting you, it didn't promote resiliency. It promoted, you know, self self deprecation through these things. I had this one deprecation or destruction, self-destruction. Thank you. Yes. Self deprecation is cute. Um, but I remember the two stories. The first goes back to that whole attitude thing. I remember the one time you punished me as a father athletically through this was I, and I was like, it was like sixth grade T like ball or something. And I just remember throwing my glove after one of the games. And I, you must have seen that from the other end of the field or something, because you, <laughs> you, you had me run suicides essentially out there afterwards. And I, I'm all for that. I probably would have done the same thing just because attitude really is everything in a sport like that in any sport, any endeavor. But part of why I left was just this one instance occurred where we had, I still feel so bad for making mom take me to do this. We had like 6 a.m. practices before games or, oh, no, yeah. or no, not before games, before weekdays at, at high school. So as a ninth grade boy, I'm not much of a lively fella before, <laughs> before 930 a.m. at the least, but. So we had all these regimented drills we would do in those mornings. 
And I remember in front of the entire, all four cohorts, all four teams, the freshman, sophomore, junior, senior teams, I just didn't know where to go for my next drill or something. And the coach from then, he throws his keys and in front of everyone at this gym, he just like, he says, I'm like, I don't care if you're confused sprint or something. And he just, this whole verbal tirade in front of like the entire program. And that was, that was kind of when I knew, you know, maybe this isn't the best environment to be, you know, learning skills for attitude and how to handle mistakes and stuff like that. But it really is. I didn't learn until then that you could leave something if it wasn't for you anymore. Yeah. Cause I played baseball since, since I could play a sport and just learning or just thinking that I had to keep playing baseball because what that was what I've always done. I got to keep playing baseball, but just there's, you can do other stuff to anyone who's listening, who is in between stuff. You can do something else if it's not for you. And then I found cross country and I learned how to punish myself in a whole new way. <laughs> but um, oh, the one thing I did want to ask you going just to athletics was how has your big cycler, mm-hmm. how has that helped with just any sort of hardships? Has that been something therapeutic for you in any way? Oh, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> and I'll have to break it down to like mountain biking versus road biking because like mountain biking is one of those instances where I talked about where I've got um, soul focus on something, right? And if I'm not paying attention to the rocks and the roots and everything else, 100%, then there's a severe penalty for failure. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's been an escape and it, you know, it feels really good. Um, Road biking, is probably the closest I'll ever come to flying in a fighter jet. Um, I remember like some of these roads around here or I think left-hand Canyon up in Boulder, just carving, you know, when you have the right bike, the right tires, you're in shape, you've got the skills, the conditions and coming down on these S turns and just the bike and my body or ones kind of carving. Like it's just an amazing feeling, but um, yeah, I just remember, you know, either punishing myself, you know, f- focusing all that attention on the quads on a climb going as hard as I can just to try to forget things mm-hmm. or just simply cruising down the bike path at 10 miles an hour, just feeling the wind and as an escape. Yeah, it's absolutely essential, you know? Um, but it was, and the other thing that I really liked about going back to your cross country experience was that, and I remember telling you that like when you quit baseball, like my only regret was that I wasn't going to see you play anymore, you know, just because I simply enjoyed you playing or watching you play. But I remember that again, it was another bonding experience and a bonding method for lack of a better term is yeah i consider myself a runner but like casual runner Mm -hmm. but it was one more way that we could connect and i remember like your first meet when you ran like an 18 or a 20 or something for a 5k and i didn't tell you great job like 
I knew how hard a 20 minute or like your, whatever your record was, like a 1730, you know, 5k was, or even, you know, this Christmas Carol 5k where you put down a 22 basically coming off the sofa. Right. (laughs) And I ran a 29. I know how much harder a six minute negative differential in a 5k is. So I can absolutely relate. So I wasn't coming up to you and going, good job. You know, Hey, <laughs> you ran so fast. Like, yeah, I was like, I knew how fucking hard that was because I did it. Like, I think my fastest 5k ever was like maybe a 27. I don't even remember. Right. But I had this context of what you had accomplished because I had not accomplished that, but I was participating in that. And so that's one of the reasons that I really liked cross country as a transition from baseball there was just one more bridge for us to have a relationship as you were growing up and moving right mm-hmm. and um it was just cool having that context like there's a number assigned to like how fast you run a certain distance but then like i knew how hard that was yeah <laughs> Suffering's universal. You can connect with anyone over something like that. Yeah, for sure. I think running has definitely been, it's been a helpful tool for physical athleticism, obviously, but just just being able to stop and just think because you get, obviously you get to the point where it starts to hurt in every different capacity it can. Yeah. But you get to see what's under the hood mentally in a lot of different things, how your attitude feels when you're in those really deep uh, moments of pain, going up a bad hill or going down a good hill. You get to see how your mental scape changes when it's put, I mean, not to the brink, obviously there's people who do that for other reasons, but just being able to push to essentially max capacity for just emotional and physical, just, Oh, what's the word? Just being able to just feel as much as you can in a lot of different ways. Yeah, it's 100% immersive, right? That Yeah, that's it. And I guarantee you when you were running Liberty Bell or whatever that course was, you weren't thinking about your homework or your relationships <laughs> or anything like that. Like you are looking at the butt in front of you trying to keep pace. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, that's an amazing feeling to have that clarity and that simplicity of mind and simplicity of focus mm-hmm. because it's a feeling that I chase all the time. Like when I can be fully present, like right now, like it's, it's great. Mm-hmm. And to have those thoughts not pop into my lotto ball brain <laughs> bouncing around, you know, it's so refreshing. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I don't know if I've told you this either, but in setting you up for the rest of your life, like comparing a, a baseball experience versus a cross country experience, the cross country I think teaches you more about yourself because like if you're doing long training runs, like how long were your training runs during the week? Training runs during the week could go from seven miles. We've done a few 12 mile days too. Okay. Yeah. You get way into your head and into your body yeah. doing that. Mm-hmm. And like you pick up a skill, like, you know, in the batting cage, things like that. There's you you learn how to handle, I think, 
pressure differently, like controlling your mind and controlling your body. Say like you're, you're at bat and you're, it's an away stadium. And then there's, you know, you're, you got to move the runner over. So you have to perform in a clutch situation. Mm -hmm. That's valuable. Right. But I think the cross country experience you had sets you up for more success because of the individual challenge of it and the suffering and testing yourself and figuring that out. Like, I think that will serve you better down the road as an adult. Mm -hmm. Like the baseball experience was good. And like, I don't want to gloss over the fact that you understood that, you know, that was not an environment for you. And it's disappointing to hear that, you know, like you have these old school coaches, like drill instructors and all that, right? Like you're still dealing with kids, right? Yeah. And, you know, imagine had that been different, had it were like, and baseball's not a fast game. No. Right? You get little snap plays that you need to be there for. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. So I could see that for like football, Mm -hmm. right? But you know, why at a 6 a.m. training thing when you're there voluntarily to have that sort of mentality where, like, you know, coach is like a leader and a helper and a teacher should be, right? Mm-hmm. So, and, and again, it goes against, you know, we don't have to get into this now, but that, that particular incident goes against so many things against my thing where, again, there's an ego there. It's like maybe the instructions weren't crystal clear. Right. Right. And why does it have to be such a huge penalty for not understanding? Right. And, you know, you and I are not auditory processors at all. I'll have a simple conversation with my boss and I'll write down like every little detail because I can't remember and process at the same time. Mm -hmm. So in that case, it was either the instructions weren't clear to you or whatever, but in any case, like, the coach should have like, why does this have to be like a football drill? Like reaction, like why do you have to sprint to whatever? And to have that like old school Spartan discipline, like it doesn't make any sense for the sport and it doesn't make any sense for freshmen in high school. Like that's just, you know, whatever. I'd say it was definitely, I mean, I think just from my memories, there was definitely a cohesion to that team that I didn't feel as intensely as some other people did. Mm -hmm. And I think that just goes to, you know, running as an individual sport at its core. And I think I was able to thrive more in that anyway, but I think it was definitely just a mismatch between the energy you've raised me on versus the energy that that program provided. Yeah. And I think, and I think that's really how I've learned to address most situations is just being able to, connect or synthesize or you know in some capacity be able to relate yeah and after a while i just couldn't relate so that's why i really left not to put that coach or any of that program down they were good in their own way it just wasn't wasn't for me to say the most cliche part of it yeah and that's fine i mean it's it there was no dream crushed of mine or or hopefully not of yours about, you know, making it pro and winning the world series and all that, because, you know, those odds are super long and unrealistic, but 
you know, I think athletics is a huge, it's a huge part of my life. And I think, you know, competition and training is important for anybody, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's, and that was my only thought was just that, look, you know, if you put in the effort, there's one thing against, you know, banging your head against the wall, just because you're banging your head against the wall and being persistent in that way. And just realizing that, look, this wall's never going to come down, mm-hmm. you know, and then the fact that you pivoted and embraced another athletic challenge as a complement to your academics, that's all I really cared about. That was my concern, you know, and just getting to the root of why you didn't want to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And like it was a, you know, and I think it was just too much, like to have 6 a.m. practices and all this, like. <laughs> You know, it's not a feeder to a college. Maybe it was. I don't know. But like, there was so much infrastructure that I was like, "Yeah, this is a lot." You know, I think in the next <laughs> over this trip, I've said the phrase. I think in the next five years, X is going to change a couple of times. But I do think the at least the high school system that I've experienced. I think there's going to be some dialogue that opens up about how much commitment that goes into that. Because especially with just the whole college search, the whole, the whole mantra seems to be, you know, uh, financial commitment or time commitment or any sort of commitment equals success. The more you put in equals how much you're going to receive. And it really isn't. I'm a tour guide up at CU Boulder. And the thing I tell everyone up there is, the most important thing you can do is just be on the campus for an hour and just sit and just see how you feel up there mm-hmm. or because everything I hear now is just, Oh, well they've filled out the online form. They've got the buff for a day, you know, plaque or all this stuff. And it just doesn't, you don't need that much. You need it's the simplicity. That's what we've been talking about. Most of this interview is just being able to find that little, cube that only makes sense to you right in any regard not just college in a job or in a relationship it's just you got to find that cube and you just got to preserve it don't really let anyone else in you can be selfish with that yeah but and but back to the high school thing it seems like a lot of from the application side all this other stuff it's just it seems like there's a lot of unnecessary busy work when it comes to the whole future prep side of things the standardized tests were the big controversy when i was there and of course you know there's i guess there needs to be some sort of a bureaucratic process that lets you know colleges lets the the state see how good students are but a lot of it was i mean it every the path to hell is paved with good intentions always <laughs> yeah so it, i think it's going to be interesting to see how athletics change how academics change how parenting changes in all these different ways over the next five ten years true and my my goal or wish for you like after high school going into college was not that you were going to be a great baseball player or a star cross-country athlete or even if that carried over to your college career i just wanted you to be a non-psychopathic <laughs> well-adjusted member of adult society like to me that was way more important than any of that right 
Sure. Is that, you know, you didn't have, you know, you had as less, as little mental baggage of, you know, my problems with your life because, you know, high school is like four years, right? Mm -hmm. I just wanted you to be well, a well-adjusted, productive member of society. Yeah. But above that, like I've always told you and your sister, I just want you two to be happy and to feel comfortable enough to come and talk to me about that, about those challenges so that you can work through those moments of sadness or challenge. And, you know, I'm not going to have the answers, but at least you'll have like someone to kick some ideas around with and figure that out. Can I tell you a theory of mine I've been playing with when it comes to hardships like that? Sure. I think part of it is yielding to the feelings you get from that. Oh, totally. Rather than trying to suppress that, letting it like respecting it enough to let it be in your head for at least a little bit of the time. Yeah. Because I think just from my own experience, whenever I've tried to suppress or pretend that these emotions don't exist are when they find his are when they Kool-Aid man it through the wall (laughs) and just, and just like surprise. (laughs) So I think being able to, I give some, a lot of this credit to you and mom is just being able to not even articulate what you're feeling, but just allow it to occupy its respected headspace for some amount of time is one of the most important things I think I've picked up from Matt. Is it? Yes. Yeah. All right, cool. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I think to, to sum up your parenting style, I would just say thank you. Well, like I said, I just, you know, I, I love you and your sister and just wanted you to be somebody that I wanted to have around, you know, and, I always wanted you to be the guy, not that guy. <laughs> I like that. It's, you know, two letters, but it's just a very, very subtle difference. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think this will conclude part one. Cause we've got to check out. And then I was yeah. thinking this afternoon, I've got, we'll turn the tables and then I'll, I've got questions for you. Oh so. boy. <laughs> I love it. Awesome. Hey there, this is Matt. Thank you for listening. This podcast is now supported by QGradeCoffee.com. And this is not a shop. It's not a coffee blend. This is actually an experience by uh, my friend Kevin. And uh, you'll hear all about this in an upcoming episode. I went through an extensive flavor profile. And what that is is a questionnaire and a tasting of fruits and vegetables and even several kinds of chocolate, which I loved, to help me determine the flavor, the roast, even the region of coffee that suits the things that I like to eat and the flavors that I enjoy. And I'm so excited that uh, I know how to make a great and a legitimately great cup of coffee using Q-grade coffee's techniques. And it's not pretentious. It's not snobby. There's coffee education and there's techniques to it. And even if you have just a single cup of coffee in the morning, what you'll learn and experience is uh, eye-opening. 
and it, it's just a fun experience. So if you like cheeses and wines and beers, you have to go through this with coffee. And it's more than just a tasting. It literally gives you the flavors and the roast that you enjoy. And I, I can't say it enough. You won't know what you've been missing until you go through a Q-grade coffee profiling. So check them out at QGradeCoffee.com.